This is it, Hannah. This is the last episode of the season. Thank God. <laughs> I'm announcing my replacement. Soon. 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 Very soon. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, I say that, but then we've got like a ton of recording and stuff to do <laughs> and editing. So it's like, we won't really have our break until later on. I like that that's the caveat and not like, oh, Hannah, we could never replace you. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, the logistics of replacing you. <laughs> oh, I've got to find someone that knows a ton about Austin. I would prefer someone with a British accent. Just get someone like, come on, all, all you Yanks, you can all do a British accent. No, we can't. No, that's, that's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke. I think I know. Okay. <clears throat> Good lord. Are you gonna are you doing a bit? Doing a bit. Doing a couch gag. Yeah. Get ready for it. Hold oh, on to your butts. I'm holding. Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the only podcast that pits Jane Austen against the Bronte sisters. It's true. We've checked. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austin. And Lauren, that that was a classic intro. It was, it was. Well, I thought, you know what? It's our last episode of the season, so let's just let's just go classic. Why not? Yeah. Why not? So um, we are wrapping up our Anne Elliott versus Lucy Snow discussion today. Looking at our notes, I think it's going to be a long one, but it's going to be a good one. We have a lot to say about Valette. We have a lot to say about Lucy Snow. We have a lot to say about Charlotte Bronte, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Charlotte Bronte. Charlotte Bronte. Uh, She was doing so well, and then Villette. And then Villette. Uh, I woke up at like 3 a.m. last night, too, to also review these notes. I had a lot of Charlotte feelings, so I'm glad that like I'm getting them all out right now. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to get them out for the weekend. (laughs) straight after recording this and I I know that I'm going to sleep a lot better having finally talked about Villette. Uh, We've been teasing it all season and just like here we are here we are we're going to talk about it so okay guys I'm going to jump right in because we have a ton to cover so last week we talked about where Jane Austen was at in her life when she was working on Persuasion going to do the same for Charlotte and um, I'm going to say this Right off the top, Valette is a difficult read, and I don't think I know anyone that like disagrees with that. Nice. <laughs> so it's not an easy read, but I will say, um, it Charlotte was going through a really difficult time in her life um, when she was writing Valette. So let's take this back to 1849. Charlotte's siblings had passed. She actually wrote that year. A year ago, had a prophet warned me how I should stand in 1849, had he foretold the autumn, the winter, the spring of sickness and suffering to be gone through, I should have thought this could never be endured. It's over. Branwell, Emily, Anne are gone like dreams. So gone like dreams. It's super sad. Is that all that made you cry? No, it's not. (laughs) Lauren's text earlier like, I'm reading Charlotte's letters and I'm crying. <laughs> so how sad. most of conversations go these days. Exactly. Uh, but it did get me a little misty. I mean, and also Gone Like Dreams, beautiful, going to be the title of my, like, someday, my my Bronte Bible that I that I write in, like, 20 years. I thought you were going to say, like, your biography. <laughs> That's too depressing. Come on. Too depressing. Not for my bio. You're, you've got Watson and, and John Craig. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, I've had it easy compared to Charlotte. Um, so after they were gone, she kind of soldiered on to finish Shirley, which she had, she had written most of it um, by the time that Anne had died. And it came out, I believe, in October of 1849. Um, when Shirley was published, her identity was revealed by a critic. So... This is kind of an interesting time in Charlotte's life. Like, 
everyone's gone. She's been revealed as, you know, Kerr Bell. Um, then she ends up doing something interesting. She goes to London to hang out with George Murray Smith, who is her publisher. Mm-hmm. Now, George is going to come up a lot next season. I would love to do like a whole episode on like George Smith and William Waitman. Um, just the the men in the Bronte lives. Well, George, which, knew, um, he knew Elizabeth Gaskell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So he's a really interesting figure. He is her publisher. Um, you'll remember his tiny little scene in To Walk Invisible when they go down. And yeah, uh, she, yeah. she goes to the shop and she reveals herself as, you know, her bell. That, and... that made me cry. Yeah. Oh, a lot of crying with the Brontes, guys. <laughs> so George was um, a little bit younger than Charlotte. He's at like... He's a he's a charming guy. They had a very cutesy letter writing relationship ever since they met that first time in London. And, you know, he was just sort of bowled over by her talent. And he started her showing her, you know, about town, taking her to the theater. So she goes down and she um, she visits George and they kind of have an interesting relationship for the next couple of years. Um, again, he's escorting her around London He's the one that takes her to meet Thackeray. Um, he even helps her stalk the Duke of Wellington, her hero. Like he takes her to the church where Wellington goes and they see, oh, they like spy on him. That's a great date. It is These a really dates. great date. These are, dates. <laughs> These are dates. I mean, in my opinion, but oh, it's be a lot of talk about this. Um, they went to Edinburgh together. He nice. invites her on a cruise down the Rhine. So... Right, so this, I've got a quote for that later. Okay. So the reason I'm talking about George Murray Smith is that he is, it's very relevant to this episode because he is Dr. John in Villette. Yes. yes. And, um, you know, just just so you know, it's not a reach. Like this actually comes from Juliet Barker, who wrote um, Wild Genius on the Moors. She was, you know, a Bronte, she was a curator at the Bronte Parsonage. So... This is definitely in her bio. Her actually, her chapter on Villette is like fantastic. Like, get her book. That chapter is so good. Um, but yeah, also like not only does she, you know, does she know this or she she puts this theory out there, but also George himself was like, yeah, I'm Dr. John. I recognize myself <laughs> in this book. Well, I'll quickly, I'll, I'll just say it quickly now. Then there is a there is a line in Villette. Like it's not. It's like textual as well. Mm-hmm. There's a line which goes. I loved my Rhine, my Nile. I had almost worshipped my Ganges, and I grieved that the grand tide should roll estranged, should vanish like a false mirage. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, the minute you were like, the Rhine, I was like, oh, I know who this guy is. Yeah, exactly. And there's more in Villette, too. Like, there is just, it's like their relationship. She's pretty bold about putting some things in that book that just like actually like went down between the two of them. Like what? So, oh, well, I guess just when we're going to get there, I do have it in here, but it's, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, but I like, it's just, it's fascinating because she wrote it. And then like, he's the one that she sends it to too. She's like, and she, she has this note and she's like, God, I'm so nervous. Basically this note is like, I'm super nervous. Like you need to tell me what you really think about this book. But guess what? I'm not going to change anything. Oh my gosh. I know. I've just got this image of Elizabeth Gaskell being like, what you've got to do is send it real late. Don't make any changes. <laughs> this was totally Elizabeth Gaskell's influence. Like, just send it super late <laughs> send it. and just say, like, it's too late. Like, you just got to publish as is. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'm totally on board with that theory. So, um... Again, we're going to have to do a whole episode on this, but the relationship between, you know, George and Charlotte does not work out. There's a lot of stuff in that relationship, too. Even like his mom saying things like, you can't marry this girl. You can't leave this girl on. She's tainted by consumption. Like, look at what happened to all her siblings. Yeah. So, yeah, it's rough. So, you know, Charlotte returns to the parsonage after like traveling, kind of hanging out, being down in London kind of living it up a little bit. She returns to the parsonage. She's got to work on her writing because really ultimately that is what George wants from her, right? He wants another book. Like she is his star writer. Yeah. But as soon as she gets back home, that depression just like kicks back in. So 
she has got these insane headaches, something that we kind of talked about with Rita Maria Martinez a little bit. Um, she's got these migraines, whether they're brought on by weather, um, depression, you know, her, her eyesight was very poor, you know, unclear. She stops eating and she's diagnosed with a liver problem. And the doctor ends up giving her these like blue pills that are just full of mercury and she almost gets mercury po- poisoning. Oh my goodness. I know. It's like, it's a bad time. Um, I guess they didn't keep her, know mercury They didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh. So um, Keeper also dies. Oh, God. Which was what? really rough for her. Dog. Yeah, Emily's dog. And that's the thing. Like, she, I, I was reading this one letter earlier today, and Charlotte was talking about losing Anne and Emily. And she's like, you know, I could give Anne away to God because she was such a godly woman. Like she belongs in heaven, but Emily belongs on earth and I miss her most of all. (laughs) Like she just was like, I mean, Emily was the one for her. So this is like her last tie to like living tie to Emily, she feels. And yeah, she's really brought it down pretty low by the death of Keeper. You you Um, choked up already. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just need a drink. (laughs) All right, I mean, Lauren, it's sad, but please don't let it, please don't let it turn you to drink. It's going to be okay. (laughs) It's not going to be okay. Um, Then Patrick has a stroke. And this is a whole situation because she just is like, oh, now I really have to lean into this caregiver business, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just just me. Yeah. (laughs) The dog's dead dog's dead just her and patrick and he's trying to recover from the stroke and all the while she is trying to write valette (laughs) and it is slow going it is very slow going um george is you know sending her letters hey how are pages going how are pages going she's just kind of (laughs) like um at one point she's really depressed and all of her friends are kind of like rallying around her, like Mary and Ellen and Elizabeth Gaskell. Like Elizabeth's like, hey, come to the parsonage. Come on. Or come to the come to Manchester. Let's hang out. You know, Charlotte's kind of like here and there. It's like she's kind of ignoring texts. She's <laughs> kind of like, I don't know. I just need a weekend to myself. But then she does end up uh, visiting Ellen at one point. And then George like swings by. So she misses George. But he's like, he's coming by to like check up on progress because he's like, where are my pages? Yeah, um that's not but like, she's that, that's no booty call charlotte sorry yeah it's not so um she's having difficulty and here's another just little bit from a letter it reads it cannot be denied that the solitude of my position fearfully aggravated its other evils some long stormy days and nights there were when i felt such a craving for support and companionship i cannot express sleepless i lay awake night after night weak and unable to occupy myself. I sat in my chair day after day, the saddest memories, my only company. It was a time I shall never forget, but God sent it and I must have been, so it must have been for the best. I know. (laughs) So she is That could just be the synopsis for Villette. (laughs) (laughs) The whole story is just like, oh yeah, man, romance is shit. But yeah, <laughs> I guess it's just how it's supposed to be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yes. Um, actually, that could be the synopsis for Villette. But Hannah, do you want to give us the real synopsis for Villette? I mean, I can give you a synopsis of, of Villette. But like, this is sure. definitely the synopsis from a person who <laughs> really struggled for a lot of it. And sure. then was angry for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so you said as well like brief you can't give like a brief synopsis of Villette I was joking that like the synopsis would just be and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then suddenly this happens and that that's not far from the truth <laughs> so we meet Lucy Snow with an E not Lucy with an E Snow with an E and she's on a visit to her godmum's house Mrs Breton Mrs. Breton has a son called Graham. And then one day this other girl turns up and her name is Louisa. But not really. Her name is Polly. Uh, yeah. Just, that's just some foreshadowing. 
Uh, Polly is sad because her dad isn't around. She doesn't have a mum, so she's like got this weird relationship with her dad. They're very close. And then suddenly he is there, and then they both leave. And then like a bunch of stuff is going on, uh, going on off camera. But the gist of it is this: Lucy leaves the Bretons. She's got no family, no money, no future. So she gets a job as a nurse or kind of companion to this old woman called Miss Marchmont. Miss Marchmont says to Lucy, I'm going to leave you some money. And then she's dead the next day. So that doesn't work <laughs> yeah. out. And then she harsh. goes to London. That part of the book, 10 out of 10, like the descriptions of London. I guess mm-hmm. some time's gone by because she's suddenly 23. Yeah. <laughs> and she's on, uh, on a ship to France. She doesn't speak very much French. She makes girl- friends with another girl called Louisa, but he's actually called Geneva. Uh, she's a bitch. <laughs> uh, she ends up going to a place called Villette which kind of works in the movie title. And then a stranger helps her out. And I'm going to warn you, this guy's going to be important. Lucy doesn't tell you who that is because she keeps all of the good information for herself. And that is one of my yeah, she does. this book. She's an inconsistent and unreliable source. Ooh, that's what I love about it. I love an unreliable narrator. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I want to punch Lucy in the face. So she gets a job as a nanny at a boarding school run by a Madame Beck, who is like opposite Dumbledore. So she is just, she's sneaky and like listens in on conversations and she's manipulative. And she like, she makes a little wax version of Lucy's keys so that she can read all of her letters. And mm-hmm. I mean, she's great. She's like, she's a really interesting character to read, but it's it's insane when you're reading it. Yeah, totally. Uh, Lucy eventually gets a job as an English teacher, apparently. I think you get, like, one scene where she teaches English and then you don't... She's just, like, hanging out in the garden the rest of the time. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Cool. Uh, There's a guy that works at the school called M. Paul Emanuel. And he uh, just gets described as swarthy all the time. And he's pretty rude Mm -hmm. and he tells her off and, like, glares at her. She sees him out and about in public and he's just always glaring at her. Uh, so remember 30 seconds ago when I said there was a guy who was important well it turns out Dr John and he is in love with Geneva who is the girl from the boat who just happens to be a student at this school and also Dr John just happens to be Graham from the start of the story and Lucy announces she's like well I I, I thought this was the case and I've been thinking that for a long time but one I didn't mention it to Dr. John. And also I didn't mention it to the reader because she's like M. Night Shyamalan or something. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, what is going on? This Geneva girl, like I said, not great. She's pretty vain and fickle and cunning. And although Dr. John is completely in love with her, she's in love with this other guy and is kind of playing them against each other and just trying to get some jewelry. And she's just, she's just a nightmare. She's like not a nice person, really. Uh, she does have this great speech though where she's like I'm just really silly and shallow and I like all of these things but this John guy is convinced that I'm deep down like very serious and pure Mm -hmm. and it's just this idea like love is blind but like this guy's willfully ignoring so many signs and even like good for Geneva like if a guy is going to insist that you're like I don't like not being cunning and manipulative maybe he deserves to be spending his money on jewelry for you (laughs) I did think that he deserved it then. And when I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So eventually, Doc John's pride gets hurt so much that he stops hanging out with Geneva because that's all it is. It's just his pride. He then mm-hmm. starts leading little old Lucy on a merry dance. She ends up being completely in love with him. He writes her a few letters and then out of nowhere, a nun appears like a ghost nun. Everyone thinks that Lucy's gone mad. The letter disappears. Spoiler, she's not mad. It's not a real ghost nun. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Lou, uh, then Polly comes back. But this time it isn't really a reveal because for ages in the book, you're like reading it and it's like, oh, the, the young woman and it's describing her and you're like, it's Polly, it's Polly, it's Polly, it's Polly, it's Polly. <laughs> so by the time it actually comes out, it's Polly. You're like, yes, I know. This isn't a mystery. The Doc John thing, that, that was a surprise. This isn't. Because the Doc John thing happened. Come on, you can't do it twice. <laughs> so, very frustrated. Um, it is. Doc Graham, it's a little too convenient. There is, yeah, it is. Uh, Doc Graham then dumps Lucy. He ends up marrying Polly. Lucy proves that she's over it by like burying all of his letters under a tree. She then sees the nun again. 
at some point she sees the nun for a third time i can't remember when it is but then it's revealed that like i said the nun isn't a ghost it's just the guy that geneva has been shagging dressed as a nun so that he can sneak into the school yeah and they Which like, i kind of enjoy that reveal actually that was a great reveal especially when it's like they leave the robes out with like a little note saying ha not a ghost yeah, exactly leave it on lucy's bed just like hey by the way not a ghost you're not seeing things uh so this <laughs> m pool guy who i've got to say like this was a slow build like you Ugh, kind of it's know, very slow you, it's well, glacial you can tell that m pool's kind of got the hots for her but how do i work that into this this riveting like breakdown of the story i don't know he's been sniffing around all this time and now that doc graham is gone it's time for him to get it in fact on the page that the volume three like title page i wrote in which Empul gets it with a winky emoji face so <laughs> i knew he was gonna get it uh, it turns out that he's related to madame beck there's also a conspiracy between madame beck and this priest who we meet earlier in the book who's like trying to convince Lucy to become Catholic, but she's a Protestant, and that that's like a whole storyline that I don't want to get into. And then yeah. they are like conspiring with some relatives of someone that he was once engaged to, and there's some money involved, and they don't want him to get Lucy, so they send him to the West Indies. And then there's like there's some rich young girl that everyone wants him to marry, and then um, and then there's the scene with some drugs. I yeah, there is like. <laughs> pages and pages at the end of this book where I think I like I will say I did not understand the drug storyline I didn't get it fair enough so I've got no notes so you're gonna have to explain that (laughs) I didn't understand uh so then after the drug thing he's like hey Lucy I love you uh before I go to the West Indies let me buy you a school and then he does buy her a school and then he dies or he doesn't die and then the book is finished yeah, it's a great ending. I'm so sorry <laughs> for that. It's good. It was perfect. The drug thing is hard. I don't, I haven't really fully, like, I haven't really thought about that scene for a minute. Um, I don't know. It's like, because she dresses up too. Like she's going to this party where like everyone's going to be there and she like puts on a disguise and it's almost like, I don't I don't really know. Like the drug thing almost made me think like, is she like hallucinating all of this? Is this real? Like, why she she gets isn't it it's off is it after the third time she sees the nun or she gets really sick? Or no, it's it's right before M Paul's going to the West Indies and doesn't Madame yeah. Beck like spike her drink? Yeah. To stuff she does. Her so that she doesn't go out. So then Lucy, she gets dressed up and then she is just walking around the streets, like in this weird state. I don't think she means to. And just like observing people too. She's just like, yeah, because she doesn't want to like go talk to anyone, but she sees, you know, the thing that really resonates with me about that part too, is like, she sees Dr. John out there and she overhears um, Dr. John's mother um, saying like, Oh God, we should have invited Lucy. And she's just like looking at them. And then Dr. John makes eyes with her. And she's just kind of like, no, like, no, don't look at me. Wait, does he see her? He does. He does see her and recognize her. She can't tell. I think she can't tell if he recognizes her or not. But she's just kind of like, don't. Yeah, she's just kind of like, stay back. She's just observing everyone, which I think is interesting about this scene. So it's almost like she's, I don't know. I'm going to make just in this altered state. Are you ready? Do you remember that that scene where, where, um, David Tennant's walking around and he's saying goodbye to everyone, but he doesn't actually go and say goodbye to everyone. He just takes the TARDIS and he goes and spies on them. And it's really, yeah. it's really annoying and it's awful. Yeah. It's, it's just like, you know what, Russell T. Davis and David Tennant, you didn't make this show. We don't care if you're going that much. We don't need this 45 minute like. Listen, goodbye, I cried a lot. Scene. I cried a lot. I hate it. Anyway, Tears so that's what this reminded me of. She's just like floating around. This is, this is exactly that. People, epilogue. Yeah getting the wrong impression she's like empel's making out with that girl he wasn't that is exactly right i think you got it so, so that's the drug scene so i did understand it laura yeah, you did you totally got it <laughs> <laughs> so i mean there is a lot to dislike about this book because it does get crazy like there's just too many plot lines it's like it's just it's a little bit mad um but there are a few things that i really really enjoy about Vlet, and we're going to talk about those right now so here we go um, number one, as someone who is a Bronte enthusiast, I like the autobiographical nature of Villette. 
So there are all these interesting parallels to Charlotte's life. There are these little like hidden stories about Charlotte. So that is what is interesting about Valette to me. Um, Charlotte would have absolutely hated that I said this. Like if she were alive today, she would be like leaving us negative iTunes reviews and sending us hate mail for this. She's a hypocrite. She thinks she's so much smarter than like the audience. She like tries to get Anne's book not published because it's talking about alcoholism. And then she's there airing her dirty laundry like this, like totally. I mean, totally. I will have to say, I mean, I think her, her, her mind does change. I think at some point during this depression, because like when she was writing Shirley, Ellen Nussie like read an early draft and she said like, oh, you know what? I recognize all the characters in Shirley, except for these two characters. And Charlotte was like furious and she fired off this note to Ellen Nussie and was like, you are not to suppose that any of the characters in Shirley are intended as literal portraits. It would not suit the rules of art. Art is capitalized, guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nor my own feelings to write in that style. We only suffer reality to suggest, never to dictate. The heroines are abstractions and the heroes also. She's like, fuck you. No, I am an artist. I made these people up. You're not seeing anyone. That's, <laughs> that's not happening. There's, there's literally a quote with the Dr. John reveal. Like the doc, the doc John reveal has this bit where Lucy's just like, yeah, it didn't like, I didn't fancy telling you that mm-hmm. like it didn't, it didn't. what is it it didn't like suit my feelings of whatever it just is so much like that voice like that statement like I didn't want to tell you so I didn't tell you like it's my secret yeah (laughs) just there's Charlotte man yeah there's so much Charlotte in this book there's a lot of Charlotte in this book so not only that there's like just things that have happened in her life I mean you know the big thing one of the first big things in the book is that she travels which yeah. Is so great. And I think it's one of my favorite things about the book, actually, independent of Charlotte's life. I actually love that insight of like a Victorian woman traveling alone. Like, that's a story. Uh, like, I want to just, I want to read on its own. Um, and I wish there was more traveling in the book because the way Charlotte writes about travel is so great. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned it above. Um, but chapter five is when she goes to London. And that's my favorite in the book. And it's Lucy discovering the city like for the first time. And it's just like how it makes her feel like fearless. And she's off to this great adventure. She sees St. Paul's Cathedral and she just writes the dome all in capitals. And I like, yeah, that's just underlined so many times. Like, it's so great. It's just like, I'm like, oh, I just so relate to her in this moment. Because, um, as you know, as like a London's my favorite transnational text, you know? Yeah. a, a masters of transnational writing um the just having like such an early example of uh someone writing about what it is to be british and to relate yourself to how how you relate to the world and perceptions of like the french and just like i mean she hates french women doesn't she she does she hates them hates europeans um but yeah, like, I, I just think, and that will be really interesting when we start looking at old Francis Hodgson Bernie. <laughs> name I will never remember. Secret Garden. Secret, Secret Garden. Yeah, Garden. we start looking at her for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just for, like, similar reasons. And, like, we always say this about Jane Austen, but that, like, the lack of travel definitely does something I would have work, doesn't it? So. Yeah, I would have killed for her thoughts. And, you know, like Elizabeth Gaskell, big traveler, which we'll talk about a lot next season as well. Here's that passage we were talking about, actually. Um, Above my head, above the housetops, co-elevate almost with the clouds. I saw a solemn orbed mass, dark blue and dim. The dome. The dome. The dome. While I looked, my inner self moved. My spirit shook, its always fettered wings half loose. I had a sudden feeling as if I, who had never truly yet lived, were at last about to taste life. In that morning, my soul grew as fast as Jonah's gourd. Prodigious was the amount of life I lived that morning. It's just like, I would like a whole book of that. Yeah. If a guy says to you... (laughs) (laughs) Are you talking about Jonah's gourd? Is that what that is? It grew as fast as Jonah's gourd? Hey, yeah. Is it? 
Yeah. What? <laughs> In that morning, Listen. my soul grew as fast as no reaction. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Well, I mean, I don't know how fast Jonah's gourd grew. Well, apparently, but... apparently it's pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much to say about Jonah's gourd. If Someone tell us. Someone, yeah. your gourd, <laughs> his nickname Jonah, please let us know. Please send us a tweet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Not, don't, but don't send us pictures. This, no, we're no, not no. soliciting any new, we're not soliciting news. Please, no, no pics. Final episode, no. send news. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, other things besides the travel that were autobiographical in nature um, include working as a teacher, as we all know. Um, in Paul Manuel, that relationship definitely mirrors her relationship with, um, with AJ, her teacher. Mm -hmm. um back in brussels um i've already told you about george smith as dr john and um there's even this incident like remember in the theater when he takes her to the theater and there's like the fire and everyone goes running don't worry i remember that's the return of polly that's the return of polly that happened to charlotte and george that that stuff like that happened all the time didn't it like theaters were just on fire or falling down (laughs) or they absolutely were. They were not safe places. So, yeah, interesting. He had to thought it really interesting when she sent him this book and he's just like, you know, just reading about himself. Same with um with AJ and his wife, because they read the book also. Like he was, you know, he was obviously not responding to, you know, Charlotte's letters at this time. He was not corresponding with her. But he did know that his former pupil was a superstar and... They read Jane Eyre and they read Villette and his wife apparently was pretty pissed off at the way she was portrayed in Villette as Madame Beck. That's hilarious. Yeah, which she she told Elizabeth Gaskell. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, God. And Liz is like, all right, I won't put that in the book. Okay. She should have put it in. She should have put it in. <laughs> she should have, yeah. So, so um... The other thing I love about Valette is the language, which I, I do a terrible job of reading. But um, Hannah, would you like to read out one of these passages that I have marked for Valette? Sure. They're so good. They're What's so this? pretty in a British accent. All right. I mean, <laughs> Daniel Craig, here it goes. Where my soul went during that swoon, I cannot tell. Whatever she saw or wherever she travelled in her trance on that strange night, she kept her own secret, never whispering a word to memory and baffling imagination by an indissoluble silence. She may have gone upward and come in sight of her eternal home, hoping for leave to rest now and deeming that her painful union with matter was at last dissolved. While she so deemed, an angel may have warned her away from heaven's threshold, and guiding her weeping down, have bound her once more, all shuddering and unwilling, to that poor frame, cold and wasted, of whose companionship she was grown more than weary. I know she re-entered her prison with pain, with reluctance, with a moan and a long shiver. The divorced mates, spirit and substance, were hard to reunite. They greeted each other, not in an embrace, but a racking sort of struggle. That that second bit is great. And actually, this isn't great time. This is sick time. Oh, this yes. Is when this she's is sick time. on her own over the holidays and she gets really ill. Yes. Which, which is another bit that Charlotte actually experienced. And she became wildly depressed while she was in Brussels and actually went to a Catholic church and uh, sought confession just so she could see another person. She was just so lonely and depressed. So one last thing that I like about Valette is um, from this essay that I was reading the other night, which comes from the book uh, Charlotte Bronte Legacies and Afterlife, which is edited by uh, Amber K. Regis. And it's a series of essays about Charlotte Bronte. And there's this really interesting essay about Valette and um, how it inspired sort of like another genre of fiction, which is like which they coined spinster fiction. 
So this genre um, really, you know, was kind of around in the late Victorian period and then also really took off after World War One because you did have like, you had more women in England than men. Well, more spinsters. Right? You had a yeah, lot of, yeah. you had more spinsters. Um, but these books really embraced like women working over romance themes. Yeah. So um, highly uh, recommend that essay. I actually think that this makes for a great like, subject for an entire episode. So I'm not going to really talk about this too much right now. But I will say that that essay also um, compared Villette to South Writing, which is one of my favorite books. I haven't read it for a while. So South Writing is by Winifred Hoppe. Go get a copy. It's good. Also, there's a great adaptation with Anna Maxwell Martin from a couple years ago. It's very, very good. Um, I personally, like I read High Wages right after Villette. So I was kind of also comparing the two as well. And I found a lot of similarities Um, because you do have this book about a working woman and it's primarily focused on her work versus romance and also about the way that she feels and the insecurity that she feels when she's around women of a higher status, all of these like internal feelings. And then outwardly, she's kind of giving people nothing. She's being very cold and being very, you know, professional. But inside, she's having loads of feelings. <laughs> would you would you would you describe this as the as embracing w- working women over romance? Because there's only that one scene, and then yes. the rest of the time, she's. I think I don't. I kind of don't think that that was Charlotte's intention. But I do think that that was new at the time. Do you know? I think that people were really expecting a romance out of Currer Bell, mm-hmm. especially um, once they realized that she was a, a woman. Yeah. And um, I feel like, you know, at the end, what does Lucy end up with? She ends up with the school that she's running. She ends up with a career versus, you know, a marriage and children like Jane Eyre. Yeah. So but I, guess I don't think the like, primary, yeah. I totally understand where you're going. And I don't think that she intended it to be that way, but I do think other writers looked at it. Yeah. And they're like, huh, interesting. Okay. Here's how I'm going to write my story. Yeah. Cause she, like, she's, you know, isn't about it. Like this book is not about Lucy Snow working. No, it's, it's not. In which the woman works as opposed to Jane Austen's books in which their romances and no one has a job. It's like, this is a romance. Right. Someone has a job not this is a book about a woman surviving like like her day-to-day work life I mean, right is, i think like it is. exactly like i don't know I, th- I don't think she intended it to be that but i think a lot of people interpreted that because of the ending yeah but yeah you're totally right i mean because high wages is very much about like the day-to-day um, but I do think that this was sort of like the jump off for yeah. a lot of women writers who were reading this book because a lot of the like, female writers were very inspired by Villette. Yeah. Um, and I think it was like, oh, look at her. She's kind of breaking the rules a little bit. Like she doesn't end up with a man and, and a baby. Like she ends up with a career. Like, let me expand upon these thoughts. Um, so, yeah, the ending embraces reality over fantasy, which was like a huge thing. And I think this is my personal my personal thought to this is that this was partially Charlotte Bronte. I mean, she's writing this story that's like autobiographical, right? I mean, and this is how it turned up. Like she didn't end up with either of these guys at the time. She ended up with a career. That's like the reality of her life. Yeah. Um, The real Dr. John, George Murray Smith, he ends up like, you know, marrying this beautiful young thing. Some Louise. Like, some Louisa. So he ends up with a Louisa. Um, that's kind of, you know, that that kind of ended their friendship. She He was still her publisher, but yeah. that was that. But like their relationship went back to just being purely professional. Yeah. Um, AJ, obviously that didn't go well. So they didn't end up together. And also <laughs> I kind of like this idea that like she knew that he was reading it. And he read Villette and she kind of says like, fuck you. I kill you in a shipwreck. <laughs> like, I don't need you. Yeah. Like it kind of feels like a personal message. So I think, you know, I think that's part of it. I think that she was just like, listen, this is the reality. Like some people just, they don't end up with anyone. Like that's just how it is. That's how my life is going. I think her life was going to shit. 
and she didn't feel like writing a happy ending. I think the other reason she wasn't going to write a happy ending was because when her identity was revealed, like (laughs) there was, you know, a lot of critics who started to go back and take another look at Jane Eyre, take another look at Shirley and really um, like review them as work of women. Yeah. Which is what she didn't want. So I see a lot of people sort of mistake her taking Kerr Bell um, as like taking that name as an act of cowardice. But Charlotte really wanted her work to be judged fairly. She didn't want someone to like look at her work as a piece of women's writing. And when people knew that she was Charlotte Bronte, they started, you know, they started writing shit about her. So one uh, critic, George Henry Luz, she he's the one that actually identified her as Kerr or as Kerr Bell. And um, he wrote this review of Shirley that was basically like, what is this? This isn't a romance. Like this women shouldn't be focused on this. Like you need to get back to like focusing on your true job, Charlotte, which is maternity. Like get back in the kitchen. Like this is nonsense. Like Jane Eyre was a great book because it was a romance and you're a woman and you know a little bit about that. So either write a romance or focus on finding a man. Flat is a romance. It's just it a romance is. about a woman that has to earn a living. Like it's not not yes, a romance. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you know, they want to like write a sweet story about two people getting yeah. together. Right about a woman and Charlotte's who like, has nothing to do but try and catch a husband because heaven forbid yeah. she should support herself. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And Charlotte's like, I don't know that life. This is the life I know. I know about trying to support myself and men rejecting me. <laughs> this is what I know. So Hannah, what do you think about the ending? Dead. Dead. 10 out of 10. I think he's dead 10 too. 10 out of 10. I like, I, you know, I seesawed. I almost got talked into thinking he was alive, but I'm back on, back on the old dead train. Mm-hmm. I think it's I mean, nice, I, but yeah, I think, I think maybe you know this could be a reach, but I do think that you know Charlotte's talking about herself and she leaves it ambiguous, so it's like maybe there's hope for me, maybe there's someone else in the pipeline, but I do think that he's dead, and one of the reasons I think that too is that she's like sending a message to AJ, like, look, yeah, I killed you in a shipwreck. Yeah, yeah. just my feeling, just my feeling on it. I don't know. If and I, also the critics as well. Cause I think, you know, cause they all wanted her to write a traditional happy ending. And she was like, eh, nah, he's dead. Yeah. I just, do you know, I think at the, it's so annoying. Cause at the time, like I was really upset when I read it. I really, I reacted quite badly to it. And I was like, I hate Villette. And I told everyone to burn it. And you were like, <laughs> Hannah, you can't endorse people burning books. And I think I was just, because I did, I worked really hard and I joke about how I hated it and like I don't hate it and I'll like I'll go on to talk about it I think it's a beautiful book in a lot of ways and then that just happens at the end and it's just hard and the only other time I remember feeling like this was when um I read Atonement when I was maybe like Mm. 16 Mm -hmm. and I guess I didn't pick up at the end spoiler for Atonement (laughs) I guess um there's this bit and it's all written like, oh yeah, by the way, they actually don't get together at the end because she dies in an air raid and he never makes it back from Dunkirk. Yeah. And and I like I didn't read it properly. Like I read it but it didn't go in. So then I'm I'm watching the film for the first time on my own in my bedroom. And then my mum bursts in and she's just like, Hannah, I can hear you crying from downstairs. What's happened? So I'm just there like, I didn't understand when I read the book. I didn't get it. I didn't I, they both died. They don't end up together. <laughs> and it hurt. It hurt me. It hurts. It hurts. It does hurt. Love hurts. <laughs> but I think she wanted you to be hurt, though. I think she wanted you to feel her pain. I think that, I mean, she is like lashing out with this book. You know, I think she's in pain from, I, I, that is hard. Like rejection is always hard, but it's also like after she lost her sisters and she was in such a depression. And then I think that she found a little bit of happiness with George. And then it was just like, oh, just kidding. But also I've been friend zoned. This used to happen. Like this happened to Cassandra Austin. She was engaged. She was in love. And then the guy that she was in love with went away to sea and he died of yellow fever. Yeah. He never yeah, came that's, back. yeah. It was dangerous. I mean, they, yeah, they talk in the book about how this is dangerous for Impal to go away. Yeah. And you're just reading. And he's like, I'll go and I'll just see you when I get back. And then it's that 
like honestly that last page just the way she builds up to it there's this beautiful bit where she receives the very first letter from um from Doc Graham and she's like is it long let it be long yeah it's long is it is it warm or is it cold like is it friendly or is it cool and she's like oh it's friendly and it's there's this way that Lucy Snow speaks that I, I find really charming where she asks herself a question and then follows it up. There's like a lot of mm-hmm. like that pattern of narrative mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't come across it a lot. And so that last page, because you're completely on board with Lucy when she's not trying to keep secrets from you. Um, yeah, it really like you're just, you're just right there. Like you're just fully in and then, the realization and again she's not even at the end like right right up until the end she doesn't want to tell you what's going on yeah she doesn't but also with the ending do you remember how when we read Jane Eyre I was just like and then the end is all about Sinjin yeah it's so- <laughs> the end of this Madame Beck prospered all the days of her life so did Pear Silas Madame Walravens fulfilled her 19th, 90th year before she died farewell yeah it's she like, really likes to give you those like updates at the end. Just by the way, oh yeah, you might be wondering about these guys. Here you awful. go. It's like Lucy's fulfilled career-wise, but she's alone. Like guys, he died. But all of these people that conspired to keep them apart lived. They were they were fine. They just yeah, like, they're fine. They're, they're just there, just living. Oh yeah, awful. it's awful. It's awful. I'll tell you what else is awful reading the show notes of this and you were like, Hannah, you can pick one thing you liked and one thing you didn't like. <laughs> and I did that I, mostly to fuck with you. It's so annoying because like, obviously I, I was going through the book and I was like taking my notes out of, that I'd written directly into the book and um, putting them into my notebook before typing them up on here. And I only took maybe a third of my notes and I put 40 mm-hmm. notes, 40 individual nice. observations that I wanted to talk about. And then I came onto the Google Doc and it's like, pick one. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Which is why I've been interrupting you so much because I've been trying to slide them in. <laughs> so, um, like, I did, I liked a lot of this book. Uh, I think Charlotte Bronze is, uh, she's, a, she's a very strong writer. She's She writes some... Um, like there's metaphor in Charlotte Bronte's writing mm-hmm. that you just don't get with Austin. And so yeah. I always, there's these little poetic lines and I think I appreciate them more because they're so like un-Austin, like, like you just wouldn't find them. And so completely Charlotte, I guess. Um, I'm saying that because I still haven't read most of Anne or any Emily. So yeah, so it just, it feels very Bronte. Um, what I really like and I think you know which bit I'm going to talk about, Lauren, is I really like the <laughs> bit where Lucy buries the letters from Doc Graham under the tree. It's great. I love that bit too. I really like, I took a lot from it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, oh, so much. I was just like, it gave me strength reading that scene. It's just like, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, there's something like ritualistic about it you know you you watch films and you see people burning pictures of ex-boyfriends and throwing them into like a metal trash can it felt like that and there is so much detail in the description of lucy planning um what she's gonna do she's like i'm gonna go and get a metal box i'm gonna gonna put the letters in it and then i'm gonna solder the box shut and she can't find the box can't find the box cool i've got this bottle I'll seal the bottle with wax. She's like, I got a Jew to do it. I got a Jew to seal that. I'm like, cool. Thanks for the observation, Charlotte. Great. <laughs> she gets that. She puts that in a hollow tree. She covers that with gravel and like leaves or stuff. I don't know. She like puts stuff on it, like dirt. And then she cements it. She just cements yeah. this wax sealed bottle under some dirt. Like all sealed up. No one's getting to these letters. She can't bring herself to destroy them. But no. she's gonna look at them. And they were so treasured too. Like that's the thing that's like mm-hmm. so endearing about Lucy is like she's so alone. And when he starts writing letters to her, like yeah. it just brings her so much joy. Like the way she treasures that first letter that... and like savors it. It's uh it's heartbreaking. There is something about a letter. I am um... I I was in a relationship with a guy that uh, wrote wrote letters and I've got them somewhere. I think they're like locked, like in a box, locked in a chest. 
but mm. I'm like I can't bring myself to get rid of them you know like no. there is there is something about there is something about that um there's this beautiful quote and it says if there are words and wrongs like knives whose deep inflicted lacerations never heal cutting injuries and insults of serrated and poison dripping edge so too there are consolations of tone too fine for ear not fondly and forever to retain their echo caressing kindness loved lingering over through a whole life recalled with unfaded tenderness like there's, there's so much about this book which is about not just holding on not just holding on like to memories but holding on to physical objects so she holds on to the letters mm-hmm. when they go out for the very first time not the time that they go to the theater and polly's there but the time she wears the pink dress and the black shawl and em mm-hmm. sees her and says that she's like tied up um john gets a blue turban and she gets a cigar case and he mm-hmm. says like she says that he really wants to swap and then she kind of alludes to the fact that they don't get together and my note there's like what they don't get together she won't swap and even now, even with all of the pain he caused her, she still has the cigar case. So, so yeah. much of this is about like holding on to feelings, holding on to memories, holding on to objects and actually how damaging that can be and how you need to try and like free yourself from these things. Mm-hmm. And like you do relate to that. Like I think my way of doing that is I'll just, um, I unfollow people that cause me pain on all social media <laughs> platforms. <laughs> I don't, I Fair enough. Know, what's your story? I don't want to see your Twitter. I don't want to see your Facebook. And I remember reading that and just being like, oh, I should take my phone and I should cement it in a tree. Yes, absolutely. That's that's my equivalent. That's my modern day retelling. (laughs) There's another line about the letters and it says, letters, however, must be put away out of sight. People who have undergone bereavement always jealously gather together and lock away mementos. It is not supportable to be stabbed to the heart each moment by sharp revivals of regret. Nah, don't do I it. mean she knew something about this at this point honestly that's like that's that that is what this whole book is about <laughs> like my yeah. copy if anyone wants to look at my copy anything that's kind of even remotely on the vein of that of like oh it really sucks when you've got constant reminders of how alone you are it's just like underlined and I'm like strong saying yes <laughs> preach <laughs> tell it Lucy <laughs> so <laughs> I can I clearly went on a journal uh, a journal, a journey. The other thing that I really like about uh, the bottle of letters is not just the bottle of letters, is what that represents as a story within the story. So mm-hmm. going back to the nun thing, I didn't think I liked the nun thing, but in relation to this bottle, what's really interesting about it is that the story of the nun and the story of the the ghost is that there was this young nun who goes against her vows, she falls in love, and I think she dies or she's killed and the story is that she's buried in a tree outside the school and that's mm-hmm. why her ghost is there now the ghost doesn't appear until lucy locks herself in the attic to read um doc graham's first letter right the nun appears the second time uh when was the second time right after she yeah, like so she buries she buries the bottle and then you see the nun again. I can't remember when the third or second time is. I can't remember. But there's this time with M Paul as well where it's like, oh, she realizes she's got feelings for M Paul and then the nun mm-hmm. appears. So basically, although the nun isn't actually a ghost, it ends up being that guy dressed up. The imagery of the nun is that every single time Lucy has romantic feelings, every time she goes against almost this like vow of chastity that she's made as a woman who isn't a romantic figure who isn't a sexual object because guys keep picking the Geneva Fanshaws and the Pollys and Louises of of the world every time she allows herself to let her guard down she ends up burying a bottle of letters under the tree and a ghost nun appears yeah it's great I just yeah yeah it is great and I like the payoff too yeah huge payoff like it's like it's like it's funny which is kind of unexpected from Charlotte too. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that was one of like, 
there aren't a lot of funny moments. I've got one other mm -mm. highlighted that I really, really enjoyed. But um, yeah, that bit where it's just like, by the way, not a ghost. It was just us. Ha. Oh, we're eloping. Bye. <laughs> exactly. I do like, I, I like that ending for Geneva. It's, she's just like, you know what? I'm just going to run off. I was trying to get this rich guy. Whatever. He's marrying someone richer than me. Don't know what the fuss is about this poly girl. You know, off, off you go. But I get a, I get a title. So I'm a countess at least. Yeah, exactly. Now, the thing that I did put down that I was going to say that I disliked about the book was that um, I've already said it. I don't like the fact that Lucy keeps secrets from you as a reader because I don't think they're always effective. Like, I, actually, I don't think it's always successful. The When the first one happens with um, Doc Graham, John, it's kind of like, oh, and I found myself, I was like, wait have I missed have I missed something have I like skimmed mm -hmm. a page by accident and I found myself going back and kind of flicking through pages and trying to figure it out so then when like I said when the poly one happens it's almost like the trick is cheapened because I'm like well if we've met Doc Graham this girl that sounds exactly like Polly from the start of the book you know why else why else would she be here like we worked right. it out you know just just tell us what's going on. And then right at the end, there's a spit with M. Paul and he's like, hey, remember that stranger who gave you the flowers? That was me. And she's like, I still have the flowers. I'm like, what flowers? Like, just tell me about the flowers at the start of the book. You can't just tell me about the flowers now. This is like J.K. Rowling out in Dumbledore after yeah, yeah. the books are published. Like, there's no, I don't, what is the point of this scene? I, just, I, I totally get that too. Like, I, I love unreliable narrators as a device and I think it's a risky strategy and I appreciate that like Charlotte employs it here mm -hmm. um with John I liked it a little bit more than with like with other stuff um I think what she's trying to get you to do is to like sort of like for me it was successful in the sense that like I became I started paying attention a lot more to Lucy and her actions because I'm like I know you're not telling me everything so now I need to like look to your actions or try to like read between the lines, like what people are saying or what you're saying um, to try to figure out like what the truth of the story is. Yeah. But it's not, it's not super effective the way that it's deployed. Yeah. So, and then what Happens. I should maybe have talked about at length instead of that, because I've already moaned about that was I like, for me, Charlotte Bronze has got to stop having men fall in love with child women. Oh Every yeah. description of Doc John, like falling in love with Polly and she's just simpering and she's like oh I'm a child <laughs> like she's referred well, to Polly really oh, she freaks me just... out throughout the book too like even in the early chapters when she is a child she's a very scary child to me and yeah, yeah. she's almost too doll like she and yeah, yeah. and she's like the yeah perfect, no, Polly freaks me out perfect woman and so I've got that I've got this page in the book where I've just scrawled on it why do men persist in loving stupid women and it's in reference to Geneva Fanshawe but I the, was so frustrated with this book in that it just feels like the Blanche Ingrams of the world like guys just like is she a no, real think, person she's I mean like, I think that's how Charlotte is Charlotte's very like judging these other women she's judging yeah, you know whoever George Charlotte Smith Bronte's, is marrying Charlotte Bronte's got real like self-important like she really had a very high opinion of herself in comparison to every other woman on the planet. And so <laughs> as far as intelligence goes, not as far as looks. No, not there as far as looks. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, there, I think it's no um, coincidence. The two men that she really fell hard for had a very high regard for her intelligence yeah. and for her talent. And those are the two things that AJ and George Smith have in common. It's just, it's just hard because I feel like when I read Jane Austen stuff, like I read all of her heroines and they feel like they feel like people in their own rights and they feel separate from each other. And I read Charlotte Bronte, like I read Jane Eyre and I read Valette and I'm just like, okay, Charlotte Bronte, I get it. You're small. You think you're better than other women. Where's the story? I don't know if she thinks she's, I mean, they do. She's deeply insecure. Like what what was said about Charlotte was, you know, she'd give it all up to just be beautiful and happy. Um, I don't know. I think I think she's angry. I think she's very very angry. She's got a lot of, you know, she's very very depressed, and um, she's got a lot of feelings. I think 
when you think about Valette in in context of like when she wrote it in the time of her life, it makes sense. I think she is lashing out. She's lashing out at Madame Beck. She's lashing out at the Louisas of the world. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like she has an agenda with this book more than more so, I think, than any other book. And also when she wrote this book, she didn't have her sisters too. like every other book. So this Villette is her last book. And, um, you know, Shirley, the professor, (laughs) Jane Eyre, they all have the influence of her sisters and the support of her sisters. And um, this doesn't. So I I do feel like this is the only one that's not really workshopped, you know? Yeah. It's it's, It's it's like unfiltered. It's a hard book. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'll move on. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like getting bogged down too much. Like I, I've spent so much time trying to figure out Villette in my head and to figure out Lucy Snow. And I just, I hate and like it in, <laughs> I hate and like it in equal parts. Um, it's, it's not an easy read. It's not something I can't say that I love it, but also I really love a lot of the writing in it. Like I love mm-hmm. a lot of the way the story's told, but I don't like the heroine. I don't like yeah. him poor and uh, I don't like his abusive behavior. And I also don't like Yeah, I don't care for him. So That's why I'm happy he dies. Well, but for so much of the book, I'm just like, there are these little scenes. I'm just like, oh, maybe I do like him. And there's scenes where I'm like, oh, I do like Doc Graham. And like, oh, I totally understand why Lucy's falling for them when you're reading it. And you're just like, yeah, I'm right there with you. And it's just, it's not, it's not an easy book. And you come away from it. And like, it doesn't, books don't have to be easy. So I guess for me, it's just it's just difficult because if someone said to me, how do you feel about Valette? I'd say, oh, I hated it. But then I'd immediately be like, I didn't hate it. And then I'd like, have, have to have this conversation again. And this conversation's gone on for like two and a half hours. So, <laughs> you know, it's just difficult. So just to prove that I did like it, I've got like five quotes that I really loved out of the 2000 quotes that I underlined in strong strong underlines or highlighted in my copy so um this is great i was catching at straws but in the wide and weltering deep where i found myself i would have caught at cobwebs nice yeah that was me last week talking about persuasion (laughs) (laughs) uh and then got a nice nice line from empor uh do you want me to try and do the french or should i read it in english do the french uh (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> you knew I would say that come on good lord uh, je, je conçois <laughs> I can't uh, <laughs> I was reading this on the train I was like I can do the French but I can't je, uh, je conçois je conçois on sait ce que c'est qu'on aime <laughs> which I, lord knows how I pronounce that but it means I understand I understand I know what it is to be just a friend. Ah. Put that on my tombstone. <laughs> Put that on your Tinder account. But I can't. I don't have a Tinder account. I've cemented my phone under a tree. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, there's a lot of friend zoning in this. I mean, so, there's a point so. at one point where um, Dr. John like friend zones Lucy at one yeah. point. Like, it's super said, hard. He says, um, Lucy, uh, if you had been born a man, we would yes. meld into one person. Yeah. And she's just there and she's like, I wonder if it's because I'm poor. <laughs> Is that train <laughs> of thought afterwards? <laughs> I'm just like, oh, Lucy, I hate and relate to you in equal measure. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rough moment. It's a rough, but like, yeah. oh, yeah, relatable. Yeah, so relatable. Um, and that's right on the brink of Empool kind of like appearing as well. Um, mm-hmm. So and my friend was having a rough time right as I read this line. And I was like, oh, I think this line is meant for you. And I like sent it to her and it was, I felt not happy, far otherwise, but strong with reinforced strength. Yeah. Motivational Charlotte Bronte. Oh, it's good. Um, I took my wages to my pillow and passed the night counting them. Done that. Yeah, that means crying, guys, just in case. <laughs> She'd cry into her pillow. And then she didn't like actually get money and like lay it out on her bed like a drug lord. She's like, woo. No, she definitely like <laughs> rags on this woman for counting her money right at the start of the book. So for her to then halfway through be like, and then I took all of my wages out onto my pillow. I spent all night counting them out. You know, she, that's not what she's doing. Um, <laughs> and then my last quote that I've pulled out is her getting salty with Polly and she's like, 
hey, have the goodness to make me as little the subject of your mutual talk and thoughts as possible. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, I see you watching my Instagram stories. (laughs) I see you. Just relatable. Just the whole thing. I'm just like... Watching you. Watching you. Lament it all. Friends own them all. Fuck them off. Kill them in the ocean. Get a school. Let's go. (laughs) Exactly. Come on. I just wish it was like 200 pages shorter. Yeah, me too. So now I'm guessing you guys have all realized that we have not gotten around to actually comparing and contrasting the characters of Lucy Snow and Anne Elliot, which was the entire point of this episode. Um, Instead, we've been going on and on and on about Charlotte and Valette. So what we're going to do, since we're running out of time, is we are going to go ahead and release a mini episode where we do that later on this week and also drop some special announcements. So, um, Hannah, if people want to give us their thoughts on Valette or show us their burned copies of the book, uh, how should they do that? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can send us your thoughts. You can send us a little audio note uh, to the to the old Gmail, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. You can join us in the Facebook group. You know how to use Facebook. Just search bonnets at dawn. And we're there. We're waiting. I don't know if I can ever talk about Villette again. I have <laughs> well, burnt my you're copy. gonna. I did want to give it away, but actually reading through it again, just seeing all of my notes, I just, this is a treasure. This will be all. Yeah, you should keep that. At my death. Yeah. And people will be oh. like, wow, she really was messed up when she was in her late 20s. <laughs> she needed this book. That's what they'll say. So yeah. Indeed. Slide yeah. into my DMs. Lauren will see them. I won't. Like I said, my phone's under a tree. What What can you True do? True story. What can you do? <laughs> All right. Can we go now? <laughs> we we can. We can. Ready? Uh, bye. And clap. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>